Thank you. Now let's talk about this abysmal election. Let's look at a candidate surging in the polls internationally faster than Harold Brown fleeing the Reagan administration. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Martin O'Malley's presidential bid, as pathetic as that was. It's the virus many Americans love to say they're infected with. The coronavirus. <laughs> as the virus spreads across the globe and into our great nation, expect a significant bump in sick time and reduction of international travel. For most, citing coronavirus concerns is cause enough. For those germ-phobic office drones, they now fear the incoming Miller High Life flu and eventual Bud Light plague. <laughs> in other news, these holistic crystal gem-type folk, afraid of the latest flu of taking up alcoholism as their next logical leap, towards their war against the scientific method. At least when I drink, I'm honest that I'm trying to be dumber. Stupider, yes. <laughs> but I'm not entering the agreements that drinking alcohol will detox my body instead of drowning my liver. <laughs> Ninja is in the news again. Turns out a cover story or 50 gives an inflated sense of self and a dire case of foot and mouth syndrome. <laughs> This guy says words like it's gospel to indignant, headset-wearing youth. When I lose in a game meant for kids, I step away because I don't plan to make being better at pressing buttons a life goal. Can you believe this guy? Hey pal, just because you're good at your job doesn't mean I have to spend a fortnight learning each gun's recoil that changes every season. <laughs> This guy is so maddening, he makes Leon Trotsky look like Jackie Gleason. I tell ya, these YouTubers always trying to find their next grift. First, it's self-help books written by some dude who films himself kicking his own gonads daily at five bucks a month. Then it's telling the world to subscribe to their bloodletting machine at five pints a month. <laughs> I like some with penitence, they make Dennis Farina look like Dennis the Menace. <laughs> What has the world come to? Have you lost our collective minds over watching popular fail sons convincing other fail sons about what to do with their lives? Well, don't look at me. I'm just over here reading about the collapse of American society with manufactured social experiments paid by state travel agencies parading as a game show where the prize is being trapped in an relationship with a guy with a god emperor complex. You know, Bachelor Nation. <laughs> Folks, we've got a great show for you. Our topics involve crash tag team racing and modern hard worlds and games you want to beat with Spiral Reignited Trilogy. Uh, 
Okay, I, I can't get a mediocre kart racer out of my head. I know, the humble multiple service subscriber of today has an issue with media consumption. We're all broken inside, like a whimpering siren until we're an excitable hyena talking about the stuff we already love. The Office, we get, we get it, you love The Office. You don't need to rewatch it for the fourth freaking time. But for crying out loud, can you give me a moment? Crash Tag Team Racing? I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but you were two years too late to the Mario Kart Double Dash trend that signaled the end to the kart racer in 2003. You know what people want to do in a kart racer? Drive. The deck was already stacked for Nintendo's portable, but not portable, console to fail. Best yet, Vivendi Games, excuse me, Universal saw fit to follow this trend. Instead of the literal decades-long icon of Mario, it's Sony's gift to furries that Universal milked immediately into the ground, ending on a note all too cynically clear. Now, it's not about Universal's since-discarded chaffed utter here. No bull, obviously. Treating Crash Tag Team Racing's main attraction as such yielded, yielded disappointments. First, you take out the power slides, which strips out the competitive nature of team racing in Nitro Kart. Then you throw in the double dashing, excuse me, the clash mechanic, with a turret in your rear to rely on the aim of the AI or the driving of the AI. Next, you have eight playable characters. You just had 16 from Nitro Kart. Seriously, was the clash mechanic that integral to admit so many iconic crash characters? Okay, but laugh all you want, but we were many and proud. We kept Universal Games alive in the early 2000s despite the garbage they put out to our beloved PlayStation characters. We convinced ourselves at the time that we just wanted more, but more didn't mean better. It meant more time and money wasted on some putrid, insignificant excuse for e I digress. Needless to say, the laughable state and tedium the racing aspect of Tag Team was in is difficult to ignore. Now, you see, you asked me, what's left of this sad, sad finality of this Crash Kart trilogy? Simple, friend. Simple, friend, it's exploration. See, you ran around an amusement park with five different themes to it. You know, a hub world connected by other hub worlds. And these aren't just hub worlds with levels you waltz right in. There's opportunities to collect currency, costumes, collectibles, and, and quest items. It was like a modern game with all the without all the season passes and microtransactions. It's it's it was weird how like Crash Tag Team Racing inspired so much in the Crash Team Racing Nitro refueled through its through its seasonal events and customizable cars and you know, introducing new characters. Yada yada. That's that's for another time. There's opportunities to collect currency, costumes, collectibles, and quest items. Yes, there are quests. It had post-game quests, secrets, and retained part of the series' bread and butter. Platforming! Platforming! It had the trappings of an open world without the vast emptiness of one. It's it's striking because God of War, I mean, excuse me, Dad of War is filled to the gills with positive and negative open world aspects diverting you away from the main journey. 
Is Midgar's Lake of the Nine Realms a hop world? Uh, hard to say when there's a, a portal to other realms, yes, there, and always returning back to that damn lake to gossip with Mir like it's like it's your home base, and then talking to the damn dwarves again, and uh, yeah. No, it, it's the scale. It's always the scale. You don't go to Mario 64 for Peach's Castle, you go to God of War for Midgar. Well, same idea for Crash Tag Team Racing. It's a racing game that, again, was too little too late for a Me Too, no not that one, copycat kart racer. But then it was a platformer that said, hey, let's turn the funnel platforming of the past down, and but retain the fun of discovery. Boo-hoo, you're saying, because there's little challenge and you don't have lives like you did in past Crash games. So what? I don't look at Disney World and think, I want to waste more of my life waiting to experience something fun. You want death? Well, you have to find it through diorama prompts. There are prompts in every world where you can make Crash die in cartoonish ways and in some other ways activating some vor enthusiasts. Yeah, but this is what I wanted. Well, not the four per se, but to treat a hub world like a level. Give a, give a way to earn collectibles away from the actual levels with NPC flavor sprinkled in for world building, characterization, or ab above all else, jokes. Rarely do you see a hub world do so without sacrificing one of those aspects. It's stand and talk to someone at HQ or it's Peach's Castle. You know, collect a few hidden stars and wander around the castle for a minute, then throw a penguin off a cliff. While still a neat accomplishment, it's still seen as the ideal hub world. Topping every list about the damn concept, it's been done. It's been done for decades, and it's to be expected for platformers. There's little staying power of it. Want to be something where a game surprises ya on how much time you're spending outside the levels? Turns out when you create a pleasing side attraction, it enhances the park, rather checks a box. Crash Tag Team Racing certainly checked the box, it's just not the box we expected. But hey, that's just my opinion. I could be right. Spyro Reignited Trilogy wants you to 100% it. Now I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but now I say this as someone who rarely, if ever, wants to ring out every bit of game no matter how much of a tube you squeeze your character through. Collectibles are carrots for those that don't want to leave and catnip for overachievers. Sorry, feathers, cog tags, stars, page scripts, jinko jeans, and so on. I, on the other hand, will gladly take my B grade if that means departing a game on a high note. And yet here I am with the Spyro Reignited trilogy, compelled to 100% all three games, despite never doing so with the originals. And I also say this as another 20-something who loves and sometimes would replay the Insomniac Spyro trilogy. Why is that? Well, the simple answer is Toys for Bobs wants you to 100% the remake they developed. Why? The Reignited Trilogy is built on collecting. That's all. 
Toys for Bob's just sharpened that vision. Beating the final boss is not the end. It's never the end. Spyro the Dragon unlocks a level if you 100% it. Spyro 2 requires at least 80% of the orbs and gems to gain entry to Dragon Shores. Spyro Year of the Dragon requires 100% to gain entry in the quote-unquote super bonus round and beat the final boss for good. Again! Toys for Bob made that all easier with these changes in the Reignited Trilogy, and I'll start right off the bat with the one you'll see right away. Minimap. A minimap was not introduced until Spyro 2, so having it in the first helps a ton to understand your place within a level. Spyro 1 is difficult if you're going for the completionist route. Next are the notifications you receive during a level. You receive notifications for collecting every gem, egg, crystal dragon, orb, and so on within a level. Not just that, a short and sweet 100% level completion pops up to notify you on your success. No need to flip back to a menu or guidebook and see 4 out of 5 or 398 out of 400. Again, you can leave Misty Bog in peace knowing that you don't have to return on this playthrough. Thank goodness. Those bullfrogs aren't horned, but they sure attack like they are. Spiral 1 just gives a limp like 200 out of 200 for gems and doesn't do diddly to say hey, you collected everything. Spiral 2 adds in gem talisman and orb icons to say you completed a level. Spyro 3 gives a cur the courtesy of a wimpy fraction again, but it, th it throws in a tiny level complete notification. So in Spyro 2 and 3, you can't 100% every level on your first try. There's either a power-up or a playable ally to unlock in the next homeworld gating you to 100%. You leave the level with your pitiful 90% Head back to homeworld, beat the boss level, and travel to a no homeworld and unlock a new ability. Now you can change that 90% to 100% if you want. Of course, it's all optional if you want. However, you have to find a portal to take you to the previous homeworld within that new homeworld. Then you can travel to the homeworld and find a portal level within that homeworld. That's time spent scouting and traveling to a portal, loading, finding the incomplete level on the homeworld, and loading once more to enter the level. Toys for Bob says, nah, let's cut the fat. Open your guidebook, find the level you want, and fast travel to that level. Heck, if you don't want to bother 100%ing levels until later on, the feature is still there to make the process quicker. Again, the option is there for you. Lastly, a damn gem finder. No more wasting hours trying to find the last red gem hidden away in a corner to level music you find slightly pleasing, but annoying as hell after the seventh time. Adding a gem finder in all three games is equal to the recent Mega Man Legacy Collection and Duke Nukem 3D Megaton Edition. Like, I'm implying that you both played those games and adored it, right? Okay, both allow you to play the originals as intended, but they add in the rewind feature in case you mess up real good suddenly. And why do I bring this up? Both allow you to play the originals as is, but they add in a rewind feature in case you mess up real good suddenly. I'll take my reward for earnestly comparing Mega Man to Duke Nukem, please. And also I'm realizing the SNES and NES games that are on Nintendo Online, also include a rewind feature, but 
Whatever, I wanted to compare those two games. Shut up. So nostalgia and historical curation play a big factor here. More importantly, we don't have the time to deflate our spirits after dying to Cutman or whatever this thing Duke Nukem will eventually pull out a newspaper foreign victory. Uh, hold on, hold up. W was he just holding all that in the entire time during this fight? Was he like constipated and he finally can go? I, how, how did he get that newspaper? Just was just holding on to it for, for this bit the entire time and and like, did he just have to go now? Who witnessed this embarrassing affair? Because like, well, was Duke just, because well, was Duke just looking for an excuse to fulfill his unconventional desires? Bottom line, the optional rewind feature in both Duke and Mega Man wants you to plow through the games and experience them. That's the main bit, experience it. Spyro has more for you to experience if you collect everything. And gem collecting stands as the biggest deterrent for 100% completion. Those last dozen gems in a level hurl a tornado of frustration spending almost, if not more time scouting for them than progressing through the level. Spyro the Dragon likes to place gems in odd places, and it'll be really difficult to find it if you don't have Sparks, your little uh, dragonfly friend, pointing in the damn direction, giving you some idea of where they are, and like, oh, I see a sparkle up there. There it is. All right, cool, how do I get up there? I just jump over here, bounce over here, and then there you go. I have 400 out of 400 gems. I don't have to deal with this level again unless I play it next year, which is a whole, whole nother thing. But still, if you're not 100%ing the Spiral Trilogy, there is something wrong with you because there is immense satisfaction in obtaining this 100%. It is an easy platinum. I think it's a platinum to 100% all three games. I have no idea, but I just know 100%ing all three games, it's obtainable. And that's what you want in games. Especially nostalgia games. Games where you remember, like, oh, I've had so much fun with this. I want to experience it again. You want the challenge. Don't don't click on the gem finder. You, you can just go through the original as is and, and just, you know, just say like, you know what? I want to hurt myself. I want to hurt myself because I want to feel like a kid again and not remind myself I work 40 hours a week or more and then I have to take care of groceries. I have to cook. Well, okay, fine. Pick up takeout. I have to pay for takeouts. I have to drive my car and get to get the takeout. I, I, I have to drive back home to... to, to, to Put the takeout on on the table. I got you, you know what I you know what I mean, okay? Like there, there's so much more going on in your life. You don't need you need to have like some experience here from 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 your childhood or like some game you missed out on years ago. Like have it modernize, modernize, streamline all that. Like this is a game what's meant to be 100%ed experience. That, that is the core essence of what I love about the Spyro series, and it is a big reason why I am so damn compelled to 100% 3, 2, and 1 of that trilogy. And again, if you're not 100%ing this trilogy, you are wrong. But hey, that's just my opinion. I could be right. <laughs>